the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Paul and the, the calendar right next to it indicates it's been uh, just about 24 hours since our last visit, so time once again for another edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts with you. We're here Monday through Friday addressing issues that impact your life and your world pretty jam-packed program here tonight so let's get down to cases we are my goodness less than two weeks away from the end of the year and while many of us of course are still thinking about uh, the holidays albeit perhaps not traveling but still getting ready for our own family celebrations dealing with the struggles of doing that in the wake of the ongoing pandemic and shelter in place orders and so forth uh, there's also another point that we need to be mindful of this time of year and that is that certain decisions related to your economic future in 2021 need to be made before December 31st of 2020. Moreover, with the coming change in administration, hopefully a very positive impact because of the COVID vaccine and a light, (laughs) we trust not that of an oncoming drain, but a light at the end of the tunnel, which would hope to suggest we can return back to some beginning of normalcy come 2020, 2021, though it'll be some while before the economy certainly fully recovers. The big question is, where do you stand? And have you been dutifully keeping an eye on your retirement planning over the course of 2020 with all the distractions so that you can make sure you're properly redeployed as potentially necessary? It's different for everyone, but that you're ready for 2021. So far, 2020 has been a phenomenal year. The Dow is up 6% for the year. And if you owned equities in the NASDAQ, smartly and wisely so, up 42%. I, and you're, you're inclined to just tap the radio in the car, I know, thinking that it, 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 the needle must have skipped. Yeah, you heard me right. 42%. The NASDAQ up for the year, and the S&P 500 up 15%. Of course, what a difference a day can make. Let's find out how the market's wrapped up today. We're joined by a special guest, Premier Financial Advisor from Vitucci & Associates, Mr. Alex Perry. And Alex, on this Thursday, how did we end up today? Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me on again. Um, well, we, it's kind of been a flat week, even though we've reached all-time highs across the Dow Jones and S&P, um, Dow Jones and NASDAQ. You know, the Dow Jones has still been hovering around 30,000 for the last week. It's been kind of up and down, up and down, but pretty much flat, a little less than 1% growth for the week. Um, but going to this holiday season, I'm liking the, um, the consistency of having some flat, some flat weeks and not so much more volatility I've been experiencing all year. 
absolutely remarkable to see the performance that has happened on uh, some of these indices, including, of course, as you mentioned, the NASDAQ. And I guess mm-hmm. also equally astonishing is the complete, utter disconnect between what many are experiencing on Wall Street versus what many are experiencing on Main Street. And, of course, that that big disconnect maybe has some people scratching their heads. They're at home. They're working just part-time. Maybe they've lost their job. So their personal, immediate economic circumstances don't look very healthy. But my, my, if they made the right decisions in their IRA or their 401K, it's been a phenomenal 2020. How do we go about sort of addressing this this perception of the the disconnect the extremes so to speak between wall street and main street and the kinds of decisions that investors not clouded by the emotion and all the turmoil we're hearing on the six o'clock news the decisions investors need to be making in preparation for the coming year what are some of the top things they need to be mindful of um, I think the first thing that everyone needs to be mindful of is just kind of taking a, a step back from you know, the day-to-day, kind of turning off the news more than anything, and doing a personal accounting of how 2020 went for you. I mean, sure, a lot of people pulled out in March and are you know, scratching their heads at this massive upswing we've seen. But in the day, you need to look at, okay, where am I at right now going into the end of the year? Well, how did my situation change? Because a lot of you know, 2020 threw a curveball to pretty much the whole world and where you were at in January of this year is probably not going to be where you're at now. Um, and kind of looking at yourself, what are your finances looking at? What are your cash reserves? Do you have enough liquidity? What are your investments? What are your goals, your risk tolerance? Kind of just taking some personal accountability going into the end of the year, kind of taking a personal check on yourself more than anything. And then you kind of talking to somebody to kind of maybe implement these changes that might've occurred over the year. Being able to somewhat take a step back um, in making these decisions critically important because we all know how disruptive potentially emotion can be. And uh, mm-hmm. certainly over the last, uh, well, since March of this year, the markets and life in general has been filled with a tremendous amount of emotion. And that's probably generally true for all of us. Now factor in things like uh, some of the uncertainty that's been tied into the election cycle here, what might happen come a new administration in January in relationship to things like taxes. And then along with that, we're hearing news, uh, Alex, uh, unemployment filings last week up by 885,000 during a time of the year that, that typically certainly with seasonal work, it's just the opposite. We see a huge spike in hiring in November and December instead of a huge spike in unemployment. And then uh, coupled with that, the, the sort of um, drumbeat of a slow exodus out of California, which makes us wonder what the future of uh, the state is going to look like when we've seen major corporations like Oracle announced late last week they are relocating to Texas. A week ago prior to that, the announcement made by Hewlett-Packard Enterprise that they are leaving. Even Elon Musk has said, you know, I think I prefer the the uh, lack of personal income taxes in a state like Texas over uh, California, so I'm packing my bags too. All of this sort of pretends to the notion that we might be in for a continued rocky road when it comes to uh, what's happening on on main street where as we say it, it, the the wind has been taken out of main street uh, and and yet that that has been the sort of the the uh, the, the leading direction of uh, wall street taking off like a rocket 
Exactly. I mean, that's one of the things with your, we kind of made the point with regards to seasonal work. Like a lot of people, especially in small businesses, hire extra people or stores, hire extra people to kind of meet this rush that happens in the holidays. And now that with social distancing, these brick and mortar places that actually employed a large portion of the United States aren't hiring. That's moving towards online distributions and, you know, Amazon, Walmart are doing very well through their online marketplaces, but those don't really help, like you said, Main Street. How what's Main Street going to go do into 2021? Um, and that's a big question mark. We're not going to really understand what some of these ramifications of these shutdowns across San Francisco. I've already seen many restaurants start to close up, board up their walls and their windows, and kind of move out. And so I'm curious to see what 2021 holds for a lot of these mom and pop shops that rely on this seasonal influx in the holidays of, you know, revenue. Cause a lot of these places rely on these next couple of months or this past couple of months for most of their, <laughs> their, their revenue for the year. Um, and I'm not really sure how they're going to really survive the winter, especially with more shutdowns that, you know, have a kind of a question mark on when they might alleviate is the best word to look at alleviate yeah so you know the the i guess the, the ultimately the watchword is that there's been a, a tremendous amount of uncertainty that has surrounded the markets and surrounded certainly the economy overall that's undoubtedly going to continue as we move into the new year and wonder what's going to be happening in relationship to a change in administrations all bringing uh, us back to the, the the key point that I began with, and that is that as we are closing in on the end of the year, there are some decisions that folks need to be considering in relationship to their investment choices before the conclusion of 2020, and certainly need to be prepared for whatever might lie ahead in 2021. Toward that end, i got to be honest with you, Alex, like most folks, we hear the news, we watch the numbers, we hear the reporting going on, and sometimes I don't know whether to celebrate, run for an air sickness bag, or <laughs> how to respond. And I'm sure a lot of people uh, feel the same. How can Alex Perry at Fatucci & Associates help people struggling with all of these questions, simply wanting some insight as to whether or not they're indeed making the right choices for their plans and visions and dream for retirement? That's a great question. I mean, there's so much uncertainty in the market right now, and especially going into January, where we had the runoff election in Georgia, which is going to play a big role in a lot of things. Like, I mean, if Biden gets his way and all the Democrats come in, there's going to be maybe a lot more taxes that get implemented on corporations that could affect the stock market and earnings, and then the market price might make an adjustment there. If there's a Republican Senate or a majority Senate, it might be more gridlock. Wall Street likes gridlock. There's not a lot of change that happens. So we might see continued highs. So there's a lot of things you need to talk to your advisor about, especially me, is looking at, okay, well, there could be potentially two alternatives or two potential paths, you know, door A and door B. And how are we going to really adjust depending on that? We need to kind of have some strategy in place to be proactive and reactive because we just don't want to just react to information. We want to kind of think about what could happen and design a strategy and have a kind of a plan into place of what we're going to be doing in 2021 when some of these outcomes kind of come to fruition. And that's the best way to kind of work with an advisor to kind of put together a game plan and also kind of put a lot, little bit of the stress onto him and off your own shoulders. Let me get more gray hair 
you know, you guys have enough more than anything. Watching these markets on a day-to-day basis is, (laughs) is tiring to say the least. And especially going to the holiday season, enjoy your families, let the professionals kind of watch this day-to-day volatility and make the strategy to help, you know, maximize your goals going into the future. All right. With all that said, in order to get connected, it begins, of course, with that initial consultation. And there's there's never an obligation to that. It's simply an opportunity to sit down with you or another member of the Vitucci and Associates advisory team, talk about what's going on in terms of your current investment strategy or choices, what your dreams and vision is for your uh, retirement, be it uh, a year away or 20 years away, and then make sure that, in fact, there is a strategy in place that will help take you to and through retirement. Alex, if folks want to take advantage of that appointment and and meet with you by phone or Internet or or even socially distant in one of your Bay Area offices, um, how do they reach you? Um. I mean, the easiest way is to go online to don'tinvestandforget.com, fill out one of our no-obligation questionnaires, and then one of our associates will reach out to you, and then we can schedule a time, be it over the phone, in person, what have you, and that would be the best way. And then we can kind of find if the Tucci Associates really aligns with you and your goals and if we can help you reach them. And, you know, it's no obligation on your own time. We can find a time that works best for you, um, even at the beginning of the year or before the end of the year. We're, you know open. All right. Good to know. And again, the uh, easy way to do it, as Alex suggests, just hop online to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com or call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE, 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. There's a market update for you from Alex Perry, Premier Financial Advisor with Vitucci and associates. We invite you to tune in every Saturday morning at 8 o'clock for Don't Invest and Forget, hosted by the man himself, Pat Fatucci. Saturday mornings, 8 o'clock on our sister station, AM 1220 KDOW, the Bay Area's business leader. Our thanks to Alex Perry for that update. Speaking of updates here at 518, let's get you updated on some traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. And, um, you know, as we've been sort of slowly, I think, coming to the realization here, uh, there is no question, if you pay even a modicum of attention, that there is a slow, significant paradigm shift taking place in our country and in our culture. Some had hoped and believed that there would be a mitigation of that in recent political changes, well, within the last four years anyway. Um, And yet, we're also witnessing the tumult, the division between Americans, almost equally divided seemingly, to the point of fights on the streets. And, you know, when you think about the culture wars perhaps what's being lost here to many, even inside the church, sorry to say, is that when the culture is suddenly up for grabs, yes, it can play out in media, popular entertainment, um, certainly in the political sphere, but most importantly, this is a war that we understand from Scripture is being played out in, in, in the heavenlies, meaning that this is at the core, not just 
cultural warfare. It's spiritual warfare. And therefore, our weapons of battle can't be of flesh and blood, but rather have to be honed out of spiritual matter because it's spiritual warfare. Why does it seem as if the church, though, at least a significant proportion of it, kind of forgotten that really critical key point? Well, to shed some light on all of this, we are joined by the founder of Blazing Grace, an international ministry, best-selling author, Mike Jenung is with us. His most recent book is called The Rogue Christian. And Mike, great to have you with us on the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Craig. You know, we're looking at this chaos that's been ongoing, and it's not just, uh, you know, some might say, oh, it's only since the election, prior to that, everything was okay. No, if you really pay attention to what's been going on in this country for multiple generations now, there seems to be the slow, steady erosion. It's an erosion of church attendance. It's an erosion of active uh, engagement in, in faith, even for many Christians who will, yes, say that they believe in Jesus and might even on Christmas and Easter show up at church, but don't otherwise have an engaged, active, vibrant prayer life, Bible study life, things of this sort. And with so much that we're seeing going on in relationship to multiple tiers of chaos um, in our nation today, at the core, what is this? Is this is this prophecy unfolding? Is it a failure of the church? Is it an overwhelming degree of evil at play in our world today? Or maybe, perhaps, even, Mike, a combination of all three. What do you think? I think it's a combination. I think if we want to begin, we go back 20 years when the seeker-friendly movement started to take root in the American church where uh, we pretty much gummed it down and started avoiding topics that would cause people to be uncomfortable or controversial like sex or pornography or even spiritual warfare like you're talking about and and, and avoiding sin or hell. And so once you do that, you've just created the atmosphere for a lukewarm church because now nobody is going to have to take a hard look at their sin. Now everything is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And and so now um, it's become about going and watching the performance. And there's little in the way of a challenge, like you were saying, to really have a passionate love relationship with the Lord and a deep, fervent prayer life. And what really provoked me writing this book was people we were counseling were coming to us, and we we kept seeing the same things over and over, and that most, when I say most, I mean 85 to 90 percent of American Christians are isolated. They're not connected with other believers. Um, They don't know how to connect with God. They don't know how to listen to him, rest in his presence. Um, many don't even have much in the way of a prayer life. And, and then quite a few are what I would call head Christians, where they know all the verses, they got the theology and the doctrine, but inside their heart is empty, so they haven't connected the truth with their heart, and then their lives are a train wreck. I'm struck by your comment regarding the, uh, the so-called seeker-sensitive church, 
where we've seen this growing movement that 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 seemingly has uh, kind of roots in in a tremendous degree of confusion. And by that I mean, um, you know, we we've tried to sort of create a brand of Christianity, Christianity, an atmosphere in church on Sunday um, that is uh, sensitive, palatable, non-offensive. And certainly, I would be the first to agree that Christians should go out of their way to try not and be offensive. That said, Scripture says of the gospel itself that the message of the cross is, well, in, in King James, foolishness to those who are perishing, or, or in other phraseology, it is offensive to those. Uh, who are apart from Christ. And, and, and that's clear in 1 Corinthians one eighteen, And yet it seems as if, Mike, our, our focus is, has been on trying to not deal with the way we as Christians act and behave, but rather somehow come in and, and sanitize the gospel to create a, a brand of Christianity that doesn't wrinkle any feathers, that doesn't call anybody to repentance, that doesn't talk about uh, some of the inconvenient, uncomfortable things like shed blood, every man having sin, separation from God, the realities of heaven, hell, issues of this matter. It's almost as if the 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 old and and historically proven viewpoint of sin, salvation, sanctification is sort of the 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 arc of, of what of what the 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 Christian life should be like once we have been convicted by the Holy Spirit, have confessed of our sins, repent. <clears throat> repented, become saved, and then, you know, begin that purification process, that that uh, that day, daily, uh, dying daily to self. Seems as if we sort of abandon that because we we've really mixed up what part should be offensive and what part shouldn't. Am I right? Yeah, and then Jesus busted two out of the seven church in the Book of Revelations for not dealing with the sexual issues of the day that were keeping people in bondage. So if you're afraid of talking about pornography and sex, then you're going to leave a lot of people in bondage because surveys today are showing that upwards of two-thirds and more Christian men are viewing pornography, and, and when COVID blew up in March, so did the porn viewing statistics, and they shot through the roof, and then we got super busy right after that. So that tells you that there's a whole big untapped or unmentioned area in the church that really needs to be addressed, it's just in the sexual arena alone. And, and, and what's and, ironic about that is that it's not just a disconnect for the world, certainly. I mean, we know that in terms of numbers in relationship to, you know, a multi-billion dollar industry that pornography is. And I mean, I, I, I think I read something uh, that suggests something like more than 50% of the websites that exist in the world, in every country, on every nation, more than 50% of the websites that exist and I may be off slightly, so don't quote me on this, but somewhere in that neighborhood, more than 50% are all pornography-oriented. So certainly we know the world has a problem with it, but when we come back after the break, I want to explore why is the church struggling with this so much? I mean, if we have the truth in front of us, why do we find so many individuals and couples struggling with sexual brokenness? We'll continue our conversation Mike Jenung is with us today. He is founder of Blazing Grace International Ministry for Sexually Broken and Their Spouses. We take this brief time out. Back with more as Lifeline continues.
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Mike Jenung is with us today. He is founder of Blazing Grace, an international ministry to the sexually broken and their spouses. Information available, by the way, online at blazinggrace.org. We're talking about his most recent book, The Rogue Christian. And I'm, I'm curious, um, in, in your research and in, in working with folks, Mike, is there any sort of indicator as to why there seems to be almost an equal amount of, of dysfunctionality and brokenness inside the church as there is without? I mean, for example, we know that as the divorce rate tends to go, that there really isn't much of a difference between those who identify as either born-again, Bible-believing, or evangelical Christians against those who... Um, uh, you know, claim claim no religious affiliation or belief system whatsoever, and you would, I think, look at that on the surface at least and say, wait, wait a minute, that that seems to be incoherent. If we have scripture, if we have an understanding of what God's ideal is, why is there so much brokenness within the church? Well, actually, Google Trends puts out numbers on uh, search terms and statistics, and what they found is the states with the highest religious organizations and affiliations are those with the highest search terms for pornography. So, you know, the Bible Belt and states like that with a lot of churches, those where you're getting a lot more porn porn searches. And um, for years, it's been a known fact that hotels, their porn uh, porn rentals shoot up when a Christian conference comes to town. So it's maybe not even just as much, and it may be even more, and unfortunately. So, I mean, you asked the why, and it's a combination of reasons. One is that uh, kids now, as, lo- as early as age six, are be- being given smartphones by mom and dad who are just clueless, not even thinking about what they're doing, and there's no way a six-year-old has the emotional maturity to handle a smartphone, so... Your sweet little Jimmy goes to school and Butch shows them all these things he's finding online and then bam, there you go. And then, like in my situation, when I was in bondage to that stuff, you know, I got hooked, you know, in my early years and then turned around and started going back to church, but churches weren't talking about sex, so I think I'm a freak, you know, a pervert or something because nobody's bringing this stuff up, so... Then what happens is you bury it and you hide it, which gives it more power and strength, and then it flourishes and grows because lust feeds on isolation and hiding and lying. And then the problem is that some men, like I did, will cross boundaries and go from pornography to sex with prostitutes or adultery, and and then sometimes 10, 20, 30 years into the marriage, uh, the wife doesn't know about it, and then boom, one day she discovers it, and it just tears everything apart. So it's, it's very destructive. And, you know, sadly, there's also a bit of a culture of, of, of um, what should we call it, a culture of silence within the church, because the, the levels of shame and guilt and embarrassment um, it can be devastating, and people look at what it means to be in um, close association with folks from a Bible study, people from the church, for many Christians, uh, the entirety of their social world um, is involved around um, their their spiritual life. And so 
when there is something taking place that's tearing a marriage apart, do you find it consistent that a lot of people are just afraid to speak up, afraid to suggest that their marriage needs help or that they need help because of fear of, well, what will somebody say? What will pastor think? We'll lose our friends if they find out that my husband has a porn addiction, things of this sort. Is that is that um, sort of participatory in the reason why people are not seeking out help sooner? Oh, yeah, and... Uh we see this up close and personal is that there's a lot of arrogance in church leadership in American churches. So I'll give you an example. It just, just happened two weeks ago where a guy uh, in a church, a big one, and had been pastored by a nationally known uh, preacher who's retired now, but um, he emailed me and told me that um, he had had a group there for support for for men struggling with porn, and they told him to shut it down just a week ago. And they didn't want a group there just focused on porn. They didn't think that was a good thing. And so 1 Corinthians 5 gives us the answer why. When Paul says he confronts the Corinthian church over the sexual sin of one man, and he says, you are arrogant and not, have not mourned instead. And I've seen this multiple times where pastors shut shut ministries or messages or things like this down and so there's you mentioned spiritual warfare at the very beginning i'm so glad you did that there's a there satan has a lock on a lot of church leadership and keeping this area quiet and once it's quiet then everybody thinks that they're a freak but not only that we hear all the time from people that they've gone to a church to try and get help their pastor or whatever and um some of them have been just told you know we just can't help you some of them say some really damaging things like blaming the wife or telling the the wife you just need to submit to your husband because even though he's a porn addict, you know, the Bible says submit to your husband, so just submit and choke on it and forgive him and move on. And so what they're basically telling the wife is your feelings and your heart don't matter. We don't care if you heal. We don't want to deal with this. So there's and, a, of course, there's you know, very, it, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry. So there's a very, there's an unspoken vein of spiritual abuse that runs through the church with this stuff, is what I was going to say. Well, and that leads to my next question, because um, so often there is this tremendous hesitancy to deal with the tougher topics out of fear that somebody might feel offended or be pushed away, uh, the notion that People don't come to church because they're broken. They come to church because there's great entertainment. They come to church because it's part of their social circle. They come to church because they want, uh, you know, a, a bit of a break from the world that will be positive and uplifting and encouraging for uh, 90 minutes or so on a given Sunday. And, and while there may be aspects of all of that that have varying degrees of importance to it, it, it it's not the core gospel message, anything from it. And so then if there's the notion that, well, we don't talk about these things because we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, what do you do? Well, the people that are struggling with them are left then to suffer in their silence. And so the notion of sometimes, as we, we started the conversation tonight, Mike, uh, trying to be so-called seeker-sensitive, stay away from the hot topics, um, is really doing greater damage, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're right on. Because once you shut down any talk about that, then you've stopped, you've lost 
Jesus' mission, which he gave in Isaiah 61, when he said that he's basically coming to set captives free, to bring those who are in prison out, to break their chains, to give them beauty for ashes and all those things, and you've totally forgotten why we're even here in the first place, and that all comes together with making disciples. You cannot make a disciple if you're not willing to disciple them out of their painful places. So we've, we've totally lost our purpose and lost why we're even showing up to church in the first place, which... You know, setting captives free, I mean, Jesus did that through his whole time, the three years that he was, you know, during his earthly ministry. So we're missing it. So we really, as a result of our unwillingness to approach the gospel straightforward, um, as a result, help to, whether wittingly or otherwise, perpetuate the pain and suffering of so many individuals and so many couples because we're afraid to talk about it. That heightens the notion that, well, if it's not spoken of, it must be it's too embarrassing to even utter in public, and therefore it's a taboo topic. So the person that's struggling with it feels as if, well, I'm sort of some sort of a societal freak, and I don't dare go public with it because it'll really put the final nail in the coffin of my marriage, or it'll ruin us uh, you know, publicly. My husband is, you know... Uh, somebody that has a lot of business associates that are in church, or whatever the excuse might be. And so we're we're trying to, uh, under a false economy, be protective of this, somehow thinking that if we pretend as if the elephant isn't, is not in the room, therefore it isn't. And as we're discovering today, uh, just the opposite is true. And the impact, the damage, can be significant and potentially even eternal. Mike Jendung is with us today. Mike is the founder of Blazing Grace, an international ministry to the sexually broken. There's information on the web at blazinggrace.org. That's blazinggrace.org. We'll take a brief time out. Back with more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back into our conversation here at uh, 10 minutes away from 6 o'clock. And uh, Mike Jung is with us today, founder of Blazing Grace. We're talking about his book, The Rogue Christian, and the broader topic of, quite frankly, the, the impact of misplaced focus on human sexuality um, that is uh, perhaps distorted from God's ideal, and then people who struggle in marriage and marriage relationships and then are silenced because of guilt and shame and what will people think and how can I possibly have this conversation with my pastor? And so they suffer in silence, their marriage suffers, and ultimately, oftentimes, sadly enough, they become a statistic. How do we address all of this? And I, and I guess the bigger question, Mike, is how do we begin to foster and create an atmosphere that treat, treats the church more like a hospital for hurting souls as opposed to uh, just a simply nicer place of fancy entertainment without all the drinking and smoke, which sadly some churches, particularly in that seeker-sensitive venue or, or, or mindset, seem to be. Yeah, I think it begins with what the Apostle Paul said when he boasts of his weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell on him, and so if we start with a place of boasting of our failures, of our weaknesses, of our faults, then we start opening the door for people to realize, hey, it's okay to be broken. So if Pastor A comes in one morning and preaches fire and brimstone, porn is sin, 
or and then you have Pastor B who says, you know what, I've had this struggle with before. I've had these temptations with less. I've fallen before in these ways. But here's what God showed me. Pastor B is going to be the one who opens the door wide to healing. We have to do more than just tell people the verses about, you know, okay, it's right and wrong and sin and holiness. I mean, that has to be there, of course. We have to hold up God's standards, but we also have to make it safe for people to, to get out of the seat and say, I need help. And, and then I think a piece of that is making our churches houses of prayer, because when you have... It's really a, an epidemic that makes COVID look tiny. <laughs> so when you have two-thirds of the men in church messing with this, and women are the fastest-growing segment, so now they went, they've gone from 20 to 30%. That's an epidemic, and, and there's a massive spiritual battle around this, so we really need to, to start becoming houses of prayer where every single weekend we're putting our people on their knees in prayer, for a country, for each other, and that's where the power is. As Leonard Ravenhill once said, no man and no woman is greater than their prayer life. So if we want revival, that's that's going to be one of the big keys, I think, is to start becoming churches of prayer. And The other way we can start opening the door wide is uh, to go back to what the early church did, Acts 2.42. They were devoted to fellowship, the apostles' teaching and prayer, and the way that can work out is uh, on your Sunday morning service, you have a message, you spend 30 of your time, and you break up men and women into groups of two or three, men with men and women with women, and have them share and pray for each other and set the standard for what a safe church looks like, and then you finish your time in corporate prayer, you know, for everyone in the whole country. That can be a game changer right there. And, of course, a lot of what you're talking about really comes back full circle to uh, the early part of our discussion, that, that maybe one of the, the shortcomings here is that we have focused on church as sort of being a entertainment va- venue on Sundays with a bit of Scripture mixed in, as opposed to really teaching what it means to be a disciple and to make disciples. And I, I think that that disconnect, while some might think to be minor, is a critical and and significant one that if we're not teaching people how to pray, how to get into God's word, what it means for us to uh, be in fellowship with each other and to be accountable to one another, share our burdens, confess our sins to one another, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Wow, there's there's some significant meaning, and and yet sadly, oftentimes you don't do it. I just wonder if maybe full circle to this and many of the other challenges, perhaps that we as the modern day church are suffering from, is this failure to really connect the dots on what it means to be true disciples. Yeah, it's going back to Scripture and looking at and saying, okay, we're not just going to teach it, but we're going to live it, and we're going to do it. So like James said in chapter 1, be doers of the Word and not merely hearers, hearers who delude yourself. So, you know, most of our church services today are performance-driven. We go and we watch the worship band, and we listen to the pastor, and then we go home. And so the early church model with prayer, fellowship, and, and the Word um, that's going back and, and doing what Scripture has given us to do, not just studying it and then walking and going home. And then I like what you 
pride in spiritual warfare, and we have to realize we're a church at war, and we've lost significant ground. And I mentioned in the book that 20 years ago, there were 8,000 witches in this country, and now there are more than 1 million. So the occult has grown rapidly, and when you have 1 million witches casting spells and doing what they do, I mean, you can look everywhere and see the result of evil and anarchy and people burning buildings down and everything that's going on. We've given the enemy so much ground, and there has to be uh, intensity and fervency and urgency right now. It is so missing. And part of that, the way you get that, there's only one way you get that, and that's what the passion of prayer life. So when I'm interviewing people before we start counseling, I'll, I'll ask them the same question. When's the last time you spent an hour with alone in prayer? And most of the men, it's, it's either a year or never. And for the women, it's maybe about half. So we've got to start cultivating and challenging people to taking their prayer life to another level. Yeah, uh, clearly there are several aspects uh, of this to a broader degree that that is demonstrative of where the failures lie that has therefore either fostered an environment where uh, these these issues sadly kind of uh, you know run like a like a wildfire out of control for want of a better example, and uh, coming back full circle to understanding the true meaning of discipleship relationship, and um, what it means to essentially become a rogue Christian. That, by the way, is the uh, the title of the new book that Mike has written, and you can get information and order copies online by going to his website, Blazing Grace. Dot org. That's blazinggrace.org, The Rogue Christian by Mike Janung. He is the founder of Blazing Grace, an international ministry to the sexually broken and their spouses. Again, information available on the book, The Rogue Christian, ordered online through the usual suspects, Amazon.com, or at Mike's website, blazinggrace.org. Six o'clock from KFAX. Let's head over to the KFAX Traffic Center to get you the latest on this Thursday ride home.